21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik. So what inspired me to get involved in this industry? Well, I, I studied as a software engineer for many years. And when you work as a software engineer, um, especially in that industry, I think a lot of people will look for like, what is the leading edge of our industries? Um, what is the what is the bleeding edge? Where is the new technology being pushed forward? And in software engineering, I think it's really at the moment for the last ten years, probably it's been one of two areas. It's been on artificial intelligence, or it's been on blockchain. Those are the two kind of main growth areas uh, ahead of us. And artificial intelligence requires a bit of a PhD. It's a bit arcane, um, but blockchain is a bit more accessible once you understand the constraints that you have to live by. Um, it's a completely new technology. It requires a, a different approach to how you do things from a traditional software engineering world. Um, but those constraints, um, they present an opportunity um, once you kind of understand why you have to live by those. Um, and it's an opportunity to kind of rebuild what we already have, but in a completely different way. So what is a blockchain? Yeah, so blockchain blockchain really just like focuses on the storage format, the storage format of data. That is purely what blockchain is. It's really a question of what can you uh, do with the storage format. So this storage format is decentralized. That's what you're always here. It's decentralized in a way that you and I, Martin, you know, we don't really know each other that well. We're operating on different sides of the world, uh, but we can both have a copy of the storage and both be in perfect agreement that the storage that we both have is the same. We can agree that what's happened is, 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 has, has happened, right? We can agree on that. And there's rules you codify into a blockchain around how you add new data to the system that forces you and I to agree that that has happened. Um, now, Bitcoin is the most famous implementation of blockchain. Um, equating Bitcoin and blockchain is like equating internet banking and the internet, right? One's a technology, one's an application, okay? Um, but when we look at like, when I go back to that, what I said around, it's an approach to life. It's a, it's a different um, perspective on how you operate around these things. We kind of categorize the internet into three different phases. We have web one, which was this kind of 90s, early 2000s, or probably all the way through the 2000s, where you go on the internet and you consume content that the website owner has created for you. So it's like a news website. Okay, that's web one. Web two is user-generated content. So this is a rise of social media, um, the rise of, of content sharing platforms, YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok, all of these platforms where average users will create and publish content and the system will uh, you know, communicate that content to the rest of, of the ecosystem. Um, Web2 is amazing, you know, people spend hours every day on the internet uh, consuming content that every average other people have done. Um, but the problem with Web2 that we've, we've all kind of realized, and this has become very apparent over the last five years, is that these big faceless nameless systems that are giving us content um, have been maximizing the monetization of this. They've been serving us up stuff that will entice us into anger or rage I mean, serving us up content that will push us further and further away into our, into our bubbles. And I've been pushing our kids some crap. Um, so we're looking at this weird turn thing, and this isn't quite working. 
And that's what Web3 is kind of designed. One of the, one of the ways Web3 is designed to solve this is, is by making it so the systems that control the internet, that operate behind the internet, whether it's a content uh, sharing platform, whether it's a, um, an art or sale distribution platform, all of the rules in those systems are completely transparent. So Web3 is really just about um, making things fairer, more equitable, and more transparent. Now, the way that we do that is with blockchain. So blockchain is a technology where you and I have to both agree that something's happened. And for all of that to happen, we have to both understand and agree that the rules in place for how that happens are known by all. Okay, the rules of how content is, um, is, is shown to other people is known by all. The rules around how our tickets or our NFTs are managed is known by all. Um, so Web3 is about making the system, all these like software systems that run our internet, that run our, our life these days, a lot more transparent, a lot more open, a lot more equitable. Before we go to the question, what problem does uh, your system subquery, yes, solve? let's uh, continue with you what motivates you to keep uh, building that kind of innovative platform well part part of it is the the excitement of doing something in a quite new technology space right is actually doing something quite new we are building um, a new tool that that radically rethinks how we so um before i yeah i'll come into subquery but um, so that part of that's that. Um, another aspect of it for me is that, you know, I do believe that we've kind of got to a bit of a, a bad um, situation right now with how the internet operates. I do, you know, firmly believe that, um, I, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up before the age of social media, um, but I, I kind of worry about kids that do right now. For, for, some, for some children, it's, it's everything that we've ever known and the world that will known. Hopefully not, but that might be the case. And so um, I think there's some pretty bad societal impacts that will come up if we just kind of keep feeding um, kids with um, information. It's kind of like feeding them with, with cocaine, um, you know, because these systems kind of do that. So I think we need a lot more um, thinking about how we can create alternative systems that are both still engaging, but a bit more positive. Um, I also believe that there are some massive corporations that have really kind of dominated the space um, across internet and different things right if you buy a ticket for a concert or a, um, or for an event you're buying it through one of probably three different agencies and they take huge fees like ridiculous fees um, and provide a pretty crap service right like if, if i if i decide last minute i can't go to this concert i can't really sell that ticket easily you know i can't i can't it's not my ticket even though i bought it I'm still kind of limited by this system that's kind of not fit for purpose. So I think there's a lot, partly of it's a new technology, but partly is partly of it is because of the what I perceive to see as huge inefficiencies in the system that shouldn't be there. They shouldn't have. We shouldn't be limited by these impacts or by these by these restrictions that these big corporations place on us. Let's go more into that direction. So. What else makes you passionate about, uh, let's say, the blockchain industry? It's transparency. Um, it's also everyone's kind of on an even footing, right? Like if if you can if you can read the code, which I guess does require a barrier to entry, but if you can read the code, it means that everything's kind of like public. 
it's open, you can see how it works. And, you know, some white hat hackers have done a really good job in blockchain, just spending time with the expertise on looking at code and figuring out what the vulnerabilities are. Um, it's, it's open, it's fair. Um, there's an approach here. There's also a real tricky challenge. I think one of the biggest challenges for our industry right now is, is there's this new technology, which is really cool, but working out how we integrate that into the real world. Um, I'm sure you agree with me, Martin, that blockchain, and many people will say that is a kind of a cool, neat solution looking for a problem. Um, and even though there's people in the industry like myself that believe there are a lot of problems that are very clear, um, we haven't done a great job in making blockchain more accessible to the general public. It's still quite user hostile. So I've got a bit of a passion into that, um, that product management side of things, um, how you build systems and tools and applications that everyday people can use. Um, and that's a huge challenge for us in blockchain, um, more so than other industries because of certain limitations, right? Like you have to have a private key that you have to keep secret. And um, if, you, if you mess up, it's kind of like, you can't really resolve that. Um, so we have to, you know, the, the amount of effort we have to put into user experience is a lot higher than what we're doing right now. And I think over the next five years, that's something that we'll focus towards. And that's, I'm looking forward to that. So blockchain was uh, one challenge. What was your biggest challenge uh, in, in launching? Yeah, I'll start by, um, by sharing like, so what is Subquery? So I work for a, um, a team called Subquery. Um, it's one of the biggest blockchain data providers out there um, in Web3. Now, problem for blockchain, and it's a real cool technology, but it's actually got one big draw set down. So blockchain is like a chain of blocks it's in the name. Um, but what that means in reality is, is you can kind of visualize that like a, like a book. And like a book has pages, you know, in a blockchain, every 10 seconds, a new block is, is written. Whatever, whatever has happened in the last 10 seconds, we save that to a block and we add that to the chain. Same thing like a book. In the last 10 seconds, I record on that page what's happened and I flip to the next page. Now, if you've got a page full of information, let's say you've got your favorite book and you want to ask block the book, what was the last 10 pages or what was the last 10 times that this character appeared in this book? And that's the same as like asking a blockchain, give me the last 10 transactions that I've made or give me the last 10 interactions that I've made with the blockchain. You know, it's, it's in a format that everything's split over blocks or over pages. And so kind of in order to answer that question of, you know, when did I last appear in this book? You have to kind of scroll through the pages and you have to scan them, you know, like looking for this character's name, which is really inefficient, terribly inefficient. And that's one of the biggest drawdowns of blockchain. It's great technology for storing data in a decentralized way, but it's a terrible uh, method or storage system for retrieving and querying data. And that's what subquery is here to solve. So you take your book and subquery is an open, flexible, um, universal what we call data indexer. And a data indexer is a, is a bit of software that you kind of like shape up, you code. Um, so subquery, look at it as like a tool and you tell subquery that I want to connect to this blockchain. I want to look for these types of events. And whenever this type of event happens, so this type of event could be related to your, your um, NFT platform, for example. Um, 
whenever that type of event happens, I want to take that data off the chain and I want to store it in this format. And essentially what it does is it stores it into a, a more traditional database, which we've spent 30 years um, optimizing. Um, I'm sure you'll know from your days, you know, databases, you can, you can sort them, you can filter them, you can query them. Um, you can do a lot more things. It, it maps this, this kind of linked list data into a relational database to which you can then query a lot more efficiently. And so essentially the outcome here is that people that are building applications on blockchain, whether that's a wallet, whether that's an NFT marketplace, whether that's an explorer, whether it's whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, any application that needs data from a blockchain, um, there is a need for a tool like subquery, a tool that will take data off and provide it to the app more efficiently. Because with that, you can build more intuitive applications. You can build applications that show data that spans more than one block. You can show applications that show entire histories of things. Um, you can build better app platforms. Um, and that goes back into my dream or my belief that for us as a blockchain industry to become more mainstream, we need better user experiences. And that's why we're building subquery um, to allow people to build those. Um, now, one of the biggest challenges with um, with um, coming to blockchain is there are actually quite a lot of blockchains. There's not just one Bitcoin blockchain, there's, there's, there's hundreds of blockchains. Um, and each blockchain speaks a different language. And one thing that we focus on at Subquery is creating a universal indexer. So we can connect to many different types of blockchains and we're slowly moving through the ecosystem to add support for them all. Um, and we can connect to many different types and take data off all of them um, and so that last little bit of like translating this custom blockchain's random way of thinking into what we store data in a relational database, that's a bit of a tricky part, um, but that's a, you know, that's a tech issue that we just have to solve. Let's go to your organization. So data indexer, universal indexer. So they are pretty high, <laughs> high goals so you are high achievers and you did a lot uh what's your organization organizational structure and how do you make money what's your business model yes yeah, so, so like we've grown like hyper fast over the past two years like many in blockchain right um like we've gone from like i think we two years ago there was like four of us five of us and now there's like 30. Um, so yeah, going for a lot of growth phase right now. Um, the organizational structure is quite flat, um, intentionally so. Um, the idea is that everyone knows what we're doing and everyone kind of shares in that view. Um, in terms of revenue, so we, we build this software so it's open source. Everything in, in blockchain kind of needs to be open source. People don't really, people in blockchain kind of have this open source belief. And so if you're building a closed source um, software, it's kind of a bit of a detrimental to your ability to kind of get people to use it because they're not quite sure how it works or who owns it or what's happening, right? It's a little bit opaque. Um, so the software itself is open source. Um, people can run that themselves. It's completely free. Um, but we have a managed service. So people will use SubQuery to build their own data pipeline for their own application. And we have hundreds and hundreds of customers out there that use this. But running infrastructure is the last possible thing that you want to do, Martin. I don't know if you've ever run any infrastructure, but it's a pain in the ass. Um, you have to assume it's going to break and you have to assume that you're going to get a phone call at two in the morning to fix it. Um, so we run uh, large scale infrastructure for our customers. So they give us their project and we run it in our managed service. 
And we've got this huge uh, service that's got hundreds of projects on it, thousands of registered users, um, and it's got doing like hundreds of millions of API requests per day. So big scale. Um, and that there, there's a you know, we, we obviously charge to, to run and look after these projects and that helps us fund the development of the core product. Um, but we are working on building a decentralized version. So one of the biggest challenges is blockchain. And it's kind of a bit of a, a shady secret is that a lot of the core infrastructure solutions, including subquery, um, but many other things, a lot of the core pieces actually are still quite centralized. So um, if you're relying on a third party to provide access to blockchains, that might be centralized. Um, subquery itself today is, is centralized so that we run these projects. Um, if you're running it with us, then if we go down, then your, your application probably goes down. Okay. And that's one of the big challenges with this decentralized vision and we're still relying on centralized services. It's a bit, it's a bit strange, okay? So we are actively working on right now decentralizing our product. And what that means is that you have this subquery project that you've defined and you can run. You give it us, to us to run, um, but you can also give it to anyone out there in the, in the world to run. Um, and anyone can run it on their own computer. Um, they can start serving data up. And we're building a decentralized network where they will be rewarded for running these projects. So you can ask the network or the system, can someone please give me this data from this project? And any one of three or four people out in the world that have indexed that data, that have that available, can serve that to you. Um, the system will direct you to the, the closest available, best reliable provider, and they will give you that data and they'll be rewarded for doing that. So you're kind of building a data marketplace here. Um, and the view here is that there's no one party, um, well, there could be one party doing indexing, but Generally speaking, we allow for more than one party. And you can decentralize, reduce the risk of one person going down, bringing your entire application down. That's the network in a nutshell. What are the most important takeaways, your personal transformation? Yeah, well, it's been a wild ride for the past two and a half years. I've, I came from a corporate before this, and I kind of forget about, like every five years, I forget how much I hate working in a corporate. And I make the mistake of going back for about six to eight months um, and realizing that um, corporates are, are really nice and comfortable, but um, they're like a cruise ship, you know? Turning a cruise ship is just really, really difficult. Once it kind of goes in the right direction, it can speed off quite quickly but turning something takes takes years. And um, that's far too long for my liking. Um, so I worked in a corporate, but now I kind of jumped back into, into the startup world and, and blockchain is, is the most scrappiest of startups, right? I worked in normal traditional startups before. Blockchain, everything happens at twice the speed. Um, what I've learned though, um, and I think this is critically important for anyone that wants to jump into this space, um, but I think it's also relevant to traditional startups is that, if you want to be involved in an early stage company, you can't be afraid of rolling your sleeves up and just getting stuck in. Um, like the, the most toxic thing that someone could say uh, in a startup is that's not my job. You know, like 
it's not it might not be your job but it's all of our problems together and we've got to work together to solve it so one thing i do really enjoy personally is is that that crisis mode kind of situation where you just have to kind of all get in there and sort it out um and no one's i don't think that anyone not, you know everyone is valued in that situation and the more that you kind of give back and at least try to understand and and try to kind of provide any feedback or um advice or get involved that that that's really helpful so it's been hard for us as we've grown and we're now formally in like a scale up size right so we're now like 25 30 people in, in subquery um as we've grown through this this phase um finding people that still maintain that that like you know it's 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 scrappy it's you got to get stuck in when you need to that's a kind of a different approach to work that you only find in startups and it's quite refreshing when you're working with people like that you know it you know when you're working with people like that it's really you come every day and like you just get shit done um but when you're working in a corporate you don't have that mindset this is my job and this is what i do nine to five and i'm going home at, at 501 p.m um so finding people as a grown that still maintain that philosophy um is pretty tricky um but that's still out there um, the challenge is, 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 is how you motivate them. And then that kind of brings me to my second thing. One thing I've learned um, a lot with scale-ups now, especially is as you get bigger and bigger, communication becomes the biggest challenge now. It's not, you know, you know I could get in there and, and do a lot of the stuff. My colleagues get in there and kind of, you know, we could do it all. We can, we can do it, you know. There's no reason why we couldn't do it. But the time management is, is a big constraint here, okay? You've got... 30 people all working, the communication effort of making sure that 30 people are working in unison and working to the same direction and are all on the same page and there's no confusion and everyone is um, driving towards a shared goal, there's more communication than you'd ever think there needs to be. Um, so understanding how to communicate and how to clearly define goals and define direction, that's a new challenge and that's been a new kind of learning over the past year is how we help to push people in one direction um all together in unison making sure that everyone's on the same page so those two things have been the biggest kind of growth for me personally um and it's been interesting learning about that um making some mistakes along the way but um you know everyone does that right it's the best way to learn two questions first question what kind of project management system are you using and the second question what, what kind of crisis management do you have we've got two teams um and one team is kind of playing with a little bit of scrum like the standard kind of scrum approach and the other team is just kind of keep a bit more loose agile um what we've realized is that we do need to spend more time and it is, it is that that time you've been planning work is actually quite critically important um designing up front like we have ux designers that work on new features um there there's a, there's a common uh calculation or, or kind of um uh heuristic where if you solve problems in the design phase it's worth like a tenth cost of solving it at the testing phase right the, the the cost of change or cost of resolving an issue increases kind of almost like exponentially throughout um the, the development progress of that of that change So 
one thing that people always i think always like cut when you're too busy you always cut it down here but people cut that design and that definition um and that's one thing that we've made the mistake of doing in the past but um i've learned that is critically important is making sure that we design things right we understand the pitfalls we've kind of answered the questions like all the developers had a look at it and been able to say like well that that might have to change because we don't have that here or we can't get that in this way but having that kind of discussion before people start coding before people start putting code um in a, in a you know in the in the, in the in the code base um is is quite important for efficiency um in terms of crisis management oh i love crisis management i it's, it's it's a terrible thing to have a crisis, but it's also quite a quite an exhilarating time. Um, for us, we run pretty critical infrastructure, right? So we are aiming for four nines of uptime. Four nines of uptime means 50 minutes or 51 minutes down per year. It's like one bad meeting. Um, and for us, that means a lot of redundancy, but also as soon as something breaks, as soon as something is looking bad, there is like, we have to kind of all swarm on it, okay? So we have a few things. Whenever something goes wrong, we create a dedicated Slack channel for it, okay? Everyone that gets in it is in, in that Slack channel and it's clear what's going on, what's happening. Okay, all the conversation is in there. Um, one thing that we're setting up is if there's a crisis or if there's an incident, there is an owner, okay? There's one person that has assigned ownership of that incident, okay? And at any time you want to ask what the status is, they've got to know. Um, anytime you need to kind of, um, they need to orchestrate something, they're the one that's kind of assigning it out, right? So a single point, you know, you don't have like multiple chefs in the kitchen kind of trying to get everyone to do different things, right? You have one person that's kind of funneling it out. Um, so combination of having everyone in a shared kind of area to talk about this and just talk about this, having one owner of the incident and also proactively, um, obviously like, you know, we can, we can be proactive around avoiding these issues happening in the first place, but I'm assuming they do. Assume issues will always happen. So you have to kind of operate like that. Um, then I think the third biggest challenge is how do you act after it's happening? So your system's gone down. It's been down for two hours. How do you react as a company to tell your customers that that went down? How do you apologize to them? How do you kind of, how do you do the reputational stuff? And for us, it's about, you know, by the next day, so we, we solve the issue and the next day, by the latest, we will write a formal incident report and we will share that with our customers. You know, this is what happened. This is what went wrong. This is what we're doing to prevent it to ever happen again. This is how we're learning from it. And I think customers, you know, like obviously they don't want their systems to go down, but when you kind of show to them that you're actually taking serious steps to solve, to prevent that from happening again, they understand, people understand. People, people realize that mistakes happen you know unforeseen incidents happen it's a way of life um but the question is not what what you do when it happens um it's how you kind of move on from after it um how you learn from it um and the number one rule martin is never blame anyone never blame you know someone made a bad mistake on the configuration okay well that was a process issue right how should we have set up process so that as soon as that happened we could have monitored it and seen it happening and resolve that before it kind of became a P1. Um, someone, you know, accidentally turned off an entire system accidentally. Well, probably that should have been on a formal, you know, kind of notice that the system's critical and there should be a process around upgrading that or terminating it. 
that kind of stuff. So um, never blame an individual, blame the, blame the system. Uh, your communication or um, relationship with customers. We're in an interesting situation where we are like, we're kind of a combination of B2B and B2C at the same time, right? We have customers that are small individuals hacking away in, the, in, 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 in their home, working on the next project themselves, right? But we also have very large customers that, that run, you know, huge, um, a huge landscape of different indexes for their products, right? So we have the whole spectrum. Um, that is, it is a tricky question how you balance those, right? Because you always have that, like, there's, a, there's this 80-20 rule that, that pervades everything, right? 80% um, of your customers are 20% of your revenue and the 20% of your customers are 80% of your revenue. That's kind of common, it happens. Um, so for us, it's, we got this challenge of, okay, well, we, we could focus on those 20% that are a majority of our revenue and just kind of work with them. And we do give them, we do have very white glove service for them. Um, but we also can't lose sight of the 80% of the customers that are a lot smaller the revenue, but, but could grow to become some more of those 20%, right? So you've got to kind of grow both sides um, of that equation at the same time. Um, for us, this means for the, for the, when you have large B2C customers, it's all about documentation. So for us, as a developer tool. Developer relations is quite important. Um, that means tutorials, documentation, workshops, constantly thinking, how do we make this easier for the person that has never seen the, the service before to get started in the first 15 minutes? How do we make it so easy that they understand it? They kind of go to the website and click, you know, oh, this is how it's done, boom, boom, boom. Um, and that's a never ending battle with documentation that never finishes documentation is never done it's the most thankless um punishing job but it's also one of the most critical right if you don't have good documentation people won't or do, good onboarding kind of processes for new customers you can't assume people are going to use it and when you start get big like us you can't like you can't also like handhold everyone through it you know, when you're small, you can kind of like handhold people and say, okay, this is what will help you build the first part. We'll implement it for you. And you can take it from there. Um, when you get big, you can't do that anymore. Um, on the big side of the customers, it's, it's really about having, giving them a, a tool or format where they feel like they are special. They can, if a big customer of ours messages us, they know that they can get a response either that business day or the, or the first thing, the next one, right? Um, we're an international company. So um, making sure that they they feel heard um, and they know that we're going to get back to them ASAP. Um, so when we have hundreds of customers like we do, keeping track of all these, these requests is quite tricky. Um, we're working on different processes around that. Um, but those are the two kind of constraints that you have to operate when you're kind of serving both sides of that market. Um, for big customers, it's about um, perceived, being perceived to be responsive and, and kind of there, um, you know, and that's part of, you know, I'm from New Zealand. I think that's part of our, our culture here is that um, we will be quite open and, and, and close. We want to be like friends with our customers rather than professional customer relationships, right? Like, um, you know, I think it's 
from our from my culture it's quite good to kind of you know joke and 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 treat people as as, as colleagues and friends so um you see that in our communication style you see that in our support style um where we're kind of a bit more um closer and um i think people enjoy that um there's no point being a formal kind of like don't don't start by sitting sitting up like a support desk where like you get like a your message is you know in the support queue wait to hear back from your customer service representative in four days so oh, great you know i feel special then um so having a bit of a human touch is quite important and that's one weird thing about martin about um, blockchain actually is is in this space um we use a lot of like instant chat messages um instant messaging applications and as a result, and in blockchain, you're never really that far away from someone else. Like within you know a few hours, I can get an introduction to any other team in the ecosystem. I can probably get an introduction to their CEO um, if I had the right ask, right? And I can message them, and I can just be in a chat with them. I don't just send an email across the void. Um, I can get someone to introduce me, and I can start immediately exchanging chat messages. And and one thing, one of the downsides is I wake up in the morning to hundreds of, of chat messages from different people, different customers, different people that want to get in touch with me because it's open. But the upside is that if I do have a question, if I do want to spitball something or, or share an idea, you're just one chat message away. It's quite quite relieving when you, um, especially come from a corporate environment where if you want to talk to customers, you have to go for like a customer service representative and then you go to their customer service representative or partner kind of member. And then you then finally get to the customer within that customer, you know, the actual user. And there's like four layers of Chinese whispers between you and them. Um, but in blockchain, it's like, cool, if I want to hop on a call, if the developers are using it, um, I can okay that and get them involved and, and learn a lot straight away. James, in five years. In five years, I believe that we will have figured out a blockchain is the way to go if it's a bit of a um, not quite going to be the solution that we're looking for. Um, and I certainly hope it's the format, it's the way to go. Um, in five years, if that's the case, we're going to start seeing applications, or I, I, I believe and I hope that we're starting to see applications where you don't, we would use, you can use it, but you don't know what's on a blockchain. You don't know it uses blockchain technology. That's opaque. At the moment, it's painfully obvious that you're using a blockchain application because it's kind of difficult to use and it's a bit risky. But in five years' time, it should be as easy and as simple that my parents can use it without knowing. Um, in five years, I hope that blockchain is going to be universal. It's going to be integrated into different systems. We've got all these alternatives that are cheaper, faster, more performant, more efficient to these legacy platforms. Uh, in five years, it's going to become a lot more mainstream. And in five years, if that's the case, in five years, that means subquery is going to be a core part of that. That means subquery is going to be um a core piece of that infrastructure stack to provide data to these applications and it means that we're going to have to be efficient fast we're going to, have to support all these different blockchains we're going to have to have a really strong onboarding process so that new developers can get on board really quickly we're going to have to have a huge amount of service we're going to have a decentralized network with millions of participants um, powering all these applications um, it means that we need to scale as a team we need to scale as a company um, and i of course need to scale myself so that's, that's my hope for five years. We are um, currently running a test network for our subquery network. 
Um, if you're curious to see how blockchain works, like what, what is, like how does, you know, I've told you about sub-careers and now you might want to be curious to how, how are you going to run this in a decentralized way? Um, go to our website and look at our test network. Um, see what it's like, read the white paper, um, figure out how, um, try to understand um, our solution. If you're building a blockchain application, if you want to build one, reach out to me. Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, you can find me on our company's Discord, um, on Telegram even, um, and and put your ideas in um, and we can certainly help you build that next application. But there's, it depends on who you are. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there. I'm just kind of keen to share more about what blockchain is and what we're trying to achieve as an industry together. Twenty-first century entrepreneurship with Martin Piskarik.